0: And his one goal in writing was to give you certainty in a world of doubt. Good morning. You guys doing well? Good to have you with us. Welcome to Desert Breeze Community Church. If you have your Bibles, you can turn to the Gospel of Luke. We'll be looking at chapter 8, verses 22 through 39. This is our teaching series, Certainty in a World of Doubt, working our way through the Gospel of Luke. We're going to talk about storms this morning You can also grab your sermon notes out, follow along. This is part of the intro. In our fallen and broken world, how many would agree with that? We live in a fallen and broken world. There's no doubt about it. Just look around. And so in our fallen and broken world, internal and external storms are inevitable. Now, let me explain what I mean by that and by internal, external storms and how those work together to the degree that you are able to overcome your internal storms. Internal storms would be questions, doubts, and fears, that stuff that twirls around inside of us, to the degree that you can overcome your internal storms, questions, doubts, and fears, is to the degree that you will be able to overcome your external storms, people, things, and circumstances. Oftentimes, we uh, we make it more complex in dealing with the junk on the outside of us because we haven't dealt with the stuff that's on the inside of us. So you're gonna see in the notes, the notes are divided up into two sections. The first story we're gonna look at here in our study in the Gospel of Luke is going to help us understand external storms. The second story will help us deal with the internal storms. That's where we'll finish up the study, and then we'll take communion this morning. And so let me begin uh, with prayer as we typically do, but this is what I want to do this morning. I want to pray for the ladies here, all the ladies here at Desert Breeze. And uh, let me pray for you, and then I'm going to go into a prayer for this particular study this morning. Would you bow your heads with me? Let's begin with prayer, Father God. Your word says that charm is deceitful and beauty is vain, but a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. We praise you for the ladies of Desert Breeze, both young and old, both married and single, both moms biologically and spiritually, that each one would see that the role they play in our lives is indispensable and with implications that are eternal may each one may each one be steadfast immovable always abounding in the work of the lord knowing that in the lord their labor is not in vain as you fill their hearts with the joy of your presence And as they seek to be modest and dressed, holy in conduct, truthful in speech, and loving in character, may they win hearts for you. May they win hearts for you, God, because of their beauty inside and out. And God, we also pray, Father, that as we talk about storms, I can't help but think that there are many here this weekend in all three of our services that that are facing internal storms and external storms. And God, we thank you that, that you are our refuge and strength of very present help in trouble. And yet too often we forget this and are easily overwhelmed by the storms of life. Help us. Help us to overcome the internal storms of questions, doubts, and fears so that that we will be better prepared for the external storms of the people, things, and circumstances of life so that the storms of life will give us more of you and make us more like you for your glory and our joy. In Jesus' beautiful name and everyone said, amen. So let's take a look at this text. I'm going to work through it. I'll explain a few things as we walk through it. First story. Our external storms, second story, internal storms, starting in verse 22, chapter 8. One day he got into a boat with his disciples, that is Jesus, and he said to them, let us go across to the other side of the lake. This is the Lake of Galilee. So they set out, and as they sailed, he fell asleep. Jesus is exhausted from ministry. He goes out and notice what it says, and a windstorm came down on the lake and they were filling, and they were filling with water and were in danger. Stop there just for a minute. The word there for windstorm, the, the original language of the New Testament is Greek and so the windstorm here is, uh, is hurricane wind is literally what that is. If you've ever been in a hurricane, it is frightening terribly frightening. And in fact, uh, the waves are anywhere from 5 to 10 feet high on the Sea of Galilee. I don't know if you've ever been out at the lake here, Lake Pleasant or Roosevelt Lake or any of the lakes. We used to go to the lakes a lot and ski the lakes. And and there was one summer we were up at Roosevelt Lake and a storm blew in there and sank one of our boats. And the waves were only probably about... uh, two to three feet, four feet maybe at the most. But it was amazing how quick a storm could come in like that and sink a boat. And um, so this is much worse, much worse than one in, on one of our our smaller lakes. This is a big lake. This is a big sea. And the waves are big. And this is a windstorm that's pretty devastating. As, as Jesus is sleeping, these guys are wondering, are we gonna survive this? In fact, look at verse 24. And they went and woke him, saying... Master, master, we are perishing. stop there just for a minute because this is the assessment of men who made their living on the Sea of Galilee. They weren't afraid of anything. And now they're freaked out. I mean, they're overwhelmed with fear. So think about that just for a minute. So these these are tough dudes and, and they know we're gonna die have you ever been there? Have you ever had your life fly before your eyes? I mean, kind of like, whoa, what, what is this? I'm, I'm going to die here. And that's what they're experiencing here. And so they go to Jesus, and he awoke. I, I love this. This is a great story. I love God's word. It's just like, and he awoke and rebuked the wind and the raging waves, and they ceased, and there was calm. Calm. That's beautiful. They're gonna die. They wake Jesus up. He says, "Peace be still." Boom, just like that. In fact, it's interesting. The word here is that oftentimes when you're in a windstorm like that, the waves are gonna continue to rock and roll for a, for a while. Not here. In fact, the word for calm here literally means kind of like it was kind of like how we liked the water early in the morning on the lakes so that we could go out skiing because you want to ski on glass. It's like glass here. And so, uh, because if you wait too long, there's too many boats out there, the water's too choppy, and you don't ski so well, it's really hard, it's too much work, but you love skiing on glass, but that's the word here, calm, just calm, boom. Amazing. He just speaks the word, boom. It's done. And then he says something to them. He says this, and this, is, this would be to all of us verse 25, he said to them, where is your faith? Stop there just for a minute. Look up here because he, the storms may be raging in your life. And if you're freaking out like the disciples, this is what he would say to you. Where is your faith? If you've put your faith in Jesus Christ, you have faith. What he's saying is that it's not a matter whether they have faith or they don't have faith. You got it. Pull it out. Use it. Apply it. Work out the implications of, of what you know is true about who I am and, and what I can do in your life, okay? We're going to get back to that. We'll talk about that as we walk through this, but that's, that's pretty significant. Now, there's a bit of humor in this because they go from really, really afraid, they're really afraid they're going to lose their lives to being really, really afraid. I mean, they go from one extreme to this to still even worse off because they say, and they were afraid. I mean, no kidding. When they were afraid and they marveled, there's that sense of awe. Wow. Saying to one another, who then is this that he commands even winds and water? And they obey him. I mean, do you hear the, do you sense the weight of that? They're beginning to understand we're in the presence of Of God, This is very divine. This is a moment. They're having an encounter with the living God of the galaxies that's there up close and personal, and they're overwhelmed. By the way, the way you rid yourself of the fear of the storms is to have a fear of God, is to have that fear of God. The more you fear God, that awe and wonder of God, the less you will fear the storms of life. Just a quick lesson. And that's that's that. That's dealing with the external storms of our life, and we'll walk through our notes and unpack that. But let's move now to the to the internal storms. In verse twenty six, verse twenty six, and then they sailed to the country of the Gerasenes, which is uh, opposite Galilee. And when Jesus had stepped out on land, there met him a man from the city who had demons. For a long time he had worn no clothes and he had not lived in a house but among the tombs. And when he saw Jesus, he cried out and fell down before him and said with a loud voice. These are the demons speaking out of him, by the way. He says, what have you to do with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? I beg you, do not torment me. Stop there just for a minute. This is kind of interesting. So, you know, this would be one of the stories in this town, in this village, in this era, or in this area that, hey, don't go down by the tombs because there's a crazy man that lives down there, okay? It's kind of one of those scary stories that everybody passes, and there certainly was. There was a guy that lived there. Jesus walks in there, and I love this, and you need to know this. Jesus doesn't freak out over demons. Demons freak out over Jesus. If you've got Jesus and you encounter darkness, darkness will flee. Darkness is frightened, whatever that darkness might be, because you have the creator of the universe that indwells you. You have his presence. That's, that's one of the big points there. Jesus walks in and they're freaking. By the way, there's no confusion with demons in who Jesus is. Did you notice what, what the demon says? Jesus, son of the most... God, the most high God. They're not confused. There's a lot of liberal theologians in America today that are pretty confused about who Jesus is, okay? And, and, and they, they deny his deity. There's many main religions uh, that would deny the deity of Jesus. Not here. <laughs> Demons, know. They tremble. I love it. He says, I beg you, do not torment me, for he had commanded the unclean spirit to come out of the man. For many a time it had seized him. He was kept under guard and bound with chains and shackles, but he would break the bonds and be driven by the demons into the desert. Jesus then asked him, what is your name? And he said, Legion, this, uh, it's debatable, but somewhere around about at least 1,000 That's a lot. For many demons had entered him, and they begged him not to command them to depart into the abyss. That's where they're gonna be headed to pretty soon anyway, once Jesus comes back the second time. And then it says, and now a large herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside and they begged him to let them enter these so he gave them permission. Then the demons came out of the man and entered the pigs and the herd rushed down the steep bank into the lake and were drowned. Is that crazy or what? It's amazing. I love it. When the herdsmen saw what had happened, they fled and told it in the city and in the country. So the herdsmen saw what had happened, these guys are freaked out. I mean, who wouldn't be when they see this happen? And then the people went out to see what had happened, and they came to Jesus and found the man from whom the demons had gone. Okay, everybody look up here just for a minute. This is the epitome of mental health right here. This guy goes from being demonized, out of his mind, to in his right mind. Notice what it says, sitting at the feet of Jesus, Sitting at the feet of Jesus, clothed, in his right mind, and they were afraid. And we could add to that also, as you're going to see at the end of the story. He can't keep quiet about Jesus. But that's, that's when you know you're healthy. When you're sitting at Jesus' feet, you're clothed. That's a good thing. <laughs> keep your clothes on. And in his right mind, we'll talk about what that means, and, and, and they were afraid. They were freaked out. It's like, oh, my goodness. This is the guy that we were telling all the stories about. He was in the graveyard. And we told everybody, stay away from the graveyard. This guy's messed up. And now he's, what has happened? And those who had seen it told them how the demon-possessed man had been healed. These guys don't give a rip about the demon-possessed man. They're more concerned about something else, as you will see in the story, than all the people of the surrounding country of the Gerasenes asked him to depart from them, for they were seized with great fear. So he got into the boat and returned. The man from whom the demons had gone begged that he might be with him. I mean, isn't that when you've encountered Jesus, you just want to be with Jesus? You just want to hang out with him. I want to know Jesus. I want to grow in my relationship with him. But Jesus sent him away saying, return to your home and declare how much God has done for you. Oh, that's no problem. I mean, he's just like, are you kidding me? That's easy. That's easy. And he went away proclaiming throughout the whole city how much Jesus had done for him. This is the word of the Lord to us this, uh, this morning. Oh, I love it. Good stuff. Okay, here we go. We've got some work to do. So what is true about external storms? Here's the first one, number one on your notes. We will face storms beyond our ability. We will face storms beyond our ability, but Jesus is Lord over the storms. That's the first big thing I think we can draw from this this story. Now, um, when I was, uh, it's crazy that I can remember this, but I was three years old. I can remember that far back, yes. Okay, I know I'm old, but I can remember I was three years old because it was so traumatic. My mom and dad oversaw, we called it, as kids grew up, we called it the place. It was about 10, I think it was at least 10 acres, maybe more, maybe 10 to 20 acres of property right across from Alhambra High School, right off of Camelback, and they boarded horses there. And they had a whole lot of horses out there. Well, there was a thunderstorm that came into the valley one night, late one night, and, man, it was rocking the valley just with thunder and lightning and storming and raining, and and there was a bunch of those horses that got out and were running up and down Camelback. So my mom and dad leave uh, me, three-year-old, with my older sister, which she's about five to six years old, with our younger sister, Aloha, who's about one and a half. At home. And so I remember this because it was so traumatic. Because here, you know, you're thinking, I'm going to look to my older sister to kind of protect us. To protect, speaking of thunder, what was that? (laughs) Speaking, uh, yeah, to protect me and, uh, or to kind of watch after me. And you know how there'll be those that you kind of, they're the authority here. And so I'm going to look to her but every time the thunder would come down and it would lightning, and I remember it was just like, it was loud, it was crazy. It was, every time it would do that, she'd jump up on the couch and go, Aah! and I'm a little three-year-old, going, and I'm sure by three, I was potty trained, but not after that. I mean, man, that was That was frightening. And, and, and hey, no need to uh, call CPS. I, I think I'm mostly over it now. But uh, but oh my goodness, that was traumatic. It was terribly traumatic. But I'm looking to the I'm looking to my sister to to be there to comfort, and she was no comfort at all. And 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 the reason why I share that story is because it's a little bit what's going on here. These guys are seasoned. These guys are men who made their living on the Sea of Galilee. And they're saying, Master, Master. They're jumping up on the couch and screaming, okay? Master, Master, we're, we're going to die. I mean, this would be a little bit like you're, you're in a plane. You're flying in a plane. And the pilot leaves the controls and comes back and looks you in the eyes and goes, We're all going to die. <laughs> How would you feel? Because you're thinking, these, you know, these fishermen, they know the sea, and we're going to get through this. No, these guys are all freaking out, so that's causing everybody else to freak out, and they're going, we got to wake up, Jesus. So you're getting a little bit of what's going on here. This is beyond them. We will face storms beyond our ability. And so you see that with them. You see it also with this demonized guy, verses 28 and 29. The demons would seize this man and drive him into the desert. So okay. Okay, so here's here's what you need to know. The old adage that God won't give you any more than what you can handle. It's not true. What are you insane? He's going to give you more than you can handle. He's he's going to he's going to overload you. You're going to you're going to be beyond your ability. It's going to go beyond your ability. We will face storms beyond our ability, but Jesus is Lord over the storms. See, th- that's what we need to understand. Storms show us that not only are we not in control of our lives, but that we never were and are in desperate need of God. Listen, everybody knows that here, and if you haven't, you're gonna learn it really pretty quick. You don't have to live long to understand that. You get that phone call, you quickly lose a loved one. You get that pink slip with that company you thought you were gonna be secure and gonna be able to retire with. You get that diagnosis that says, wow, you've got cancer and it doesn't look good. Immediately, I mean, you think, hey, wait a minute, I I had all my ducks in a row. I I mean, I had everything worked out. I I thought I I could control it. You can't control it. Yeah, there's certain things that we can control and we need to be responsible people, but ultimately, no. No, 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 we're not actually really in control. He's in control, and that should drive our hearts to him. Storms are meant to drive our hearts to him. Storms can come from really, from following the Savior. They can come from following the Savior, because they're following the Savior. He said, hey, let's get in the boat, let's go across. So they can come from obedience, but they can also come from following sin, from our disobedience, so, so when you go through a storm, you need to ask yourself, is this, is this as a result of me being obedient or disobedience? Okay? I mean, that's a good question. But they can come from both. You can be very obedient and still face storms. And you gotta be okay with that. Either way, either way, whether they come from your obedience or disobedience, either way, Jesus is Lord over the storms. I was reflecting on this, I I taught on this a number of years ago, but it was Psalm 29. It's a beautiful psalm. It really talks about the omnipotence of God, that that he's all-powerful. It uses some language of the voice of God, how strong God's voice is. And you see this in this story that Jesus stands up and just says the word, and boom, peace be still, it's over. And and that whole psalm talks about that. But there's a section in that psalm, verse 5 of Psalm 29, it says, The voice of the Lord breaks the cedars of Lebanon. That's really descriptive. Cedars of Lebanon are bigger than you can put your arms around. I mean, these are big. And basically, he's just saying that God could speak it and flatten it and level out the cedars of Lebanon. It's almost kind of like he's describing um, really the aftermath of maybe a, a tornado or a hurricane, and that's just a dim glimpse of God's power. We've seen that on TV before. Maybe you've been in it, and you walk, you look in there, and you go, oh, my goodness, these trees were big, and they're just flattened out. They're leveled. And what the psalmist is saying, that's God's power. And the more you begin to live in the reality of that power, the psalm ends by saying, this will give you strength and peace. Verse 11 of Psalm 29. So storms drive you into God and show you resources you never knew you had and never knew you needed. That's why I love what uh, Charles Spurgeon says I have learned to kiss the wave that strikes me against the rock of ages. Number two, so we're talking about what is true about external storms. Sometimes Jesus will seem asleep in the storm, and he will take longer and let the storm rage harder than we would like. I mean, this is throughout Scripture, you see it throughout Scripture. We're going to study it next weekend. We're going to talk about this and uh, talk about patience, the importance of patience and waiting on God through the storms and difficulties like that. And w- what do you do when God doesn't make sense? We're going to look at that. But there's a good example here. I put it in your notes as one of the cross references Psalm 44. The, the psalmist has just taken a beating, he can't figure it out. And, and, and in the psalm, he says, Awake! Why are you sleeping, O Lord? You've ever felt like that? He's being honest. Jesus, you're sleeping. We're gonna die and he's sleeping. And, uh, and sometimes Jesus will seem asleep in the storm, he will take longer, let the storm rage harder than we would like. Now, Jesus being Lord of the storm and being asleep in the storm are not are not a contradiction. Not a contradiction. John 16, 33, Jesus, part of the upper room discourse as he's discussing with his disciples just hours before he's going to be hanging on the cross for them. He knows that they're going, to, they're going to be traumatized by all of that. They're going to face some pretty heavy stuff. And this is what he says. I'm telling you this before this happens so that in me you will have peace. In this world you will have tribulation. In this world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Now, He doesn't say, I have overcome the world, therefore you won't have tribulation, nor does he say, you will have tribulation because I haven't overcome the world. And in our minds, sometimes we kind of, we we put those two against one another. We make them almost a contradiction. In our minds, we say, if he has overcome the world, then we wouldn't have tribulation. If we're having tribulation, he hasn't overcome the world. That's not true. No, what he's saying is that, guess what? You're going to have tribulation. Oh, by the way, I've overcome the world. And th- those things can happen simultaneously, and you, you need to know that as you're working through that. And oftentimes, he, he's allowing those storms in our lives for a particular reason. He's Lord of that storm that's come into your life to develop you and to grow you. It tells us in James chapter 1, verses 2 through 4, he says, consider it pure joy, my brothers, when you encounter trials of many kinds. And I don't think I've graduated quite to that level yet because typically when I face storms and difficulties, that's usually not the first thing that comes to mind. Oh, joy. And not that joy is necessarily defined always like that. Joy, it doesn't always mean you're you're happy. but. It, it doesn't mean hope, and I don't think I always have hope. I, I tend to go the other way of hopelessness and struggle a bit. But he says, count it all joy when you encounter trials of many kinds because, you know, the testing of your faith produces what? You guys know what it is? Perseverance or, or patience. And so let patience or perseverance have its perfect work in you so that you might be complete and perfect, lacking in nothing. He's trying to grow you up. He's trying to mature us. And so he brings storms in our lives to do that, difficulties beyond our ability so that we can see he is Lord of the storms. He does care for us. That's that's what he's he's wanting to do. I had someone, um, I was telling them I was gonna talk about storms and um, last weekend, one of uh, of the gals, one of our leaders here at Desert Breeze told me about Biosphere 2. You know, this project, back in the 1990s, a closed-earth systems research facility. Anybody familiar with Biosphere 2? It's in Oracle. It's real close to Tucson. Fascinating. We live in Biosphere 1, <laughs> and that's Biosphere 2. And so, uh, you just some of you said, what did he just say? Went, okay, don't worry about it. Um, <laughs> but Biosphere 2... Uh, was this closed earth uh, systems research facility and this is what they found that was interesting about this is back in the 1990s when they started this trees grew rapidly more rapidly than they did outside of of the dome but they also fell over <laughs> trees fell over before reaching maturation or maturity and here's why lack of wind caused a defici- deficiency In stress wood, if you've ever done any research, scientific research on on trees and what was required for them to grow strong, it's called stress wood. Stress wood helps a tree position itself for optimal sun absorption, and it also helps trees grow more solidly. So without wind, so without wind, those trees' root system is not uh, going to go down deep. Isn't that fascinating? So my wife and I here in the spring, early spring, we decided we were gonna plant a couple more trees in our back area. We, we own an acre right over here. So we're gonna plant a couple more trees. One was a peach tree, one was a, um, an ash tree. And so, uh, of course, I, I dug, the, dug the holes and dug them down deep and, and she uh, supervised me as uh, I, I did that. And by the way, I have no problem with that because she is one sexy supervisor, okay? And... Uh, <laughs> And, so, and so, uh, so I dug the hole, planted the trees, and as I was fastening the tree, because they're somewhat, they're not big trees, they're not sturdy trees, but they're kind of smaller trees, that you put poles in the ground. So I drove the poles into the ground. I began to tie it up, and as I was tying it up, she said, make sure you don't tie it too tight because they need some movement in there as the wind blows. And she began to explain to me because they need, because that's how they begin to, the root system as they blow, there's, there's some certain amount of restraint. I mean, you don't want them snapped off by the wind at the same time. They need to have enough movement because it pushes the roots down deep into the soil for a good uh, root system. And I thought to myself, that is one brilliant gal, okay? I'm thinking, she's smart. And as I was thinking about that and, and looking at that, but I was thinking about it as it relates to our lives, If our root system is gonna go deep, uh, the winds have to blow in our lives. You're gonna have to have storms. you need storms. I was thinking of it as it relates to our kids. See, as a parent, as a grandparent, if we're overly protective towards our kids, we don't want our kids to go through storms. Oh, they're going through a difficulty, I'm gonna protect them from all, wait, 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 wait. They're gonna get out as adults and, and be unprepared. Their roots—they're gonna fall over. Boom! Biosphere two. Always remember that. They're gonna grow up big, fast. And they're gonna go boom. They hit—they hit college. They hit adulthood. They're gonna fall over. So as parents, we need to bring some parental imposed storms, <laughs> don't we? And I, I was thinking about this because we did our—we did our Mother's Day kind of get together yesterday. My mom was telling telling me about one of her grandkids that came over and he was three years old and he was still in a diaper. And she asked him, I said, dude, why are you, why are you still in a diaper? And the kid very, very, really greatly articulated, because my mommy still changes my diaper. And my, my mom's thinking, what the heck are you going, she didn't, she didn't talk like that, but <laughs> she's, she's more dignified than, than I am, but she goes, uh, She says, well, that's not gonna happen around here because you need to be potty trained. You're three years old. I'm not gonna be changing your diaper and mom needs to get with it. And it wasn't one of my kids, by the way, okay? (laughs) It's not my kids. My kids were potty trained, boom, just like that, okay? They were like six months old and they were potty trained. (laughs) They were changing their own diaper. (laughs) Okay, probably not. And so I was just thinking, yeah, yeah, Grandma, go for it. That's the way to do it. Don't put up with any of that. And so I was, I was happy to hear that. But I, I had to tell you a little bit of a story here is that Grandpa here was watching five grandsons, and I walked into the living room, and I smelt something that was just absolutely horrible. I was like, what in the world? What is that? And lo and behold, one of the little four year olds was playing a video game. And he was so involved in the video game that he decided that the video game was more important to him than him going to the bathroom and going to the bathroom, going and taking a dump in the bathroom. Sorry. The dude took a crap in his pants. Okay? Does that make sense? So he's, he's playing, he's playing video, video game, and I walk in there and go, what the heck is that? That's horrible. And I go over there, and he's still playing the video game. Dude, did you crap in your pants? Oh, my goodness. It wouldn't have made it so bad, but I was all by myself. So I began to lecture him. Wait until Grandma gets home before you do something like this next time. Don't do it on Grandma's watch. Do it on Grandma's watch. Or at least go home and do it. Don't do it here. It was horrible dipping his underwear into the toilet, trying to clean it out, and that's going to help for the nice uh, Mother's Day brunch here later on. <laughs> You're welcome. That'll help you lose weight, huh? <laughs> but, uh, but, I mean, I was like, dude, uh, it's time to knock this stuff off. You're four years old. No game, no video game is more important than you going to the bathroom, especially when Grandpa's got to clean it up, Okay. And I was thinking as it relates to, uh, and I know, I know your honor roll student would never do that, but, uh, but I think our kids all took after me, okay? And, uh, but I mean, I often I was thinking about that as it relates to God's, God is going to bring storms into our life because he's telling us many times, it's time to quit how can I say this in a nice way? It's time to quit. We, you need to be potty trained. Time to t- it's time to quit taking a crap in your pants, okay? Wow, I didn't know I was gonna come to this church and have him talk about that. Yeah, sorry about that. I, but, but I mean, I, I can't help but think that oftentimes we've done some really stupid and foolish things and, and God's saying, you know what, I love you. I love you way too much. It's time to grow up. And so here's a God-imposed storm you're, you're being obedient, but you need to grow up. need to get beyond the diapers, and this is the only way that's going to take you beyond the diapers, because I love you, and I want the best for you. That's that's what happens. We'll talk more about it next weekend, but sometimes, sometimes Jesus will seem asleep in the storm. He will take longer and let the storm rage harder than we would like, and... Uh, Sometimes he calms the storm, and sometimes he calms his child in the storm, but either way, he will do what is in our best interest, even when we come to him badly or poorly. Just go to him. I love how Mark, Matthew and Mark also deal with this same story, and Mark actually says, this is how they came to him. Do you not care that we are perishing? That's what Mark Mark says that they said to him. So Luke kind of claims it up a little bit, but Mark, these are eyewitness accounts. They're going to give them kind of their different perspective. They give different nuances, and I love it. And, and Mark says, don't you care that we're perishing? Suffering, storms will be unbearable if we are not certain that God is for us and with us never to leave us or forsake us. You know why we freak out? You know why we get all stressed out? Why are they stressed out? Why are they losing it? They've forgotten that Jesus is in the boat. They've forgotten that he said, we're gonna go to the other side. See, if you doubt his love for you, storms are gonna be unbearable. Listen, he has your best interest at heart. Whether you believe that or not, you need to believe it, because it'll make a difference in how you respond. He has your best interest at heart. I know that's hard to understand and believe when the storms are raging in our lives. The Bible's very clear about that. It tells us in Romans 8:28: for we know that all things work together for good, for those that love God and are called according to His purpose. I love the tenacity of, of the three Hebrew guys: Shadrach, Me,shach, and Abednego. I mean, these dudes are about ready to be thrown into a fiery furnace because they won't bow down to Nebuchadnezzar's golden image. And it, I mean, these guys have some attitude. I love their attitude. It's like, okay, we're not bound down. Okay, you're going to get thrown in the furnace. Whatever. <laughs> Bring it on. And they actually say something, in fact, you can look it up, I love it, I like going back to it from time to time, but Daniel chapter three, verses 16 through 18. Basically, these guys say, God can save us, he will save us, and if he doesn't save us, we know he's got our best interest at heart. It's almost as if they're saying, God will either give us what we ask for or give to us what we would have asked for if we knew everything he knew. Because we know he's got our best interest at heart, so we're not bowing down to your stupid golden image. Okay, it's, that's not actually in the Hebrew there, but <laughs> the, that's my that's my take on it. I and I love it. It's, it's kind of they do have a little bit of that attitude. It's just like ah, we're not doing it. And it is it is impossible for a person to despair. It is impossible for a person to despair who remembers that his Savior has his best interest at heart. There's a difference between sorrow and despair, by the way. You guys know that. We're going to be sorrowful. We're going to take hits, but we don't have to despair. See, despair is just showing us that we've taken a good thing and turned it into an ultimate thing. You take a good thing in your life and you turn it into an ultimate thing, you're going to have despair when you lose it. But if that good thing stays as a good thing and not an ultimate thing, you're gonna have sorrow, but it won't go to despair. And, uh, and, and that's, a, that's an important thing for us to understand. It's impossible for a person to despair who remembers that, that his Savior has his best interest at heart. Here's the next thing. Miracles are not just proof that he has power, but wonderful foretaste that the world we all want is coming. Jesus' miracles were not magic tricks to impress and coerce. I believe that God still works miracles today. I think they're a foretaste of heaven, there's no doubt. But in his first coming, he came to redeem people. In his second coming, he's going to redeem the planet. I I long for that day. I look forward to that day. Suffering is a reminder this world is not the way it is supposed to be. And one of the main ways we move from abstract knowledge of God to a personal encounter with Him as a living reality is through storms. The truth of who God is travels from our head to our heart only through storms, it's through the difficulties. I love what C.S. Lewis says. God whispers to us in our pleasures, speaks in our conscience, but shouts in our pain. And and this is, I actually have, I've had a number of people say this to me, and I believe this is true, that as a believer, the longer you walk with Jesus, that you will begin to say, no storm is too great to endure if it increases our capacity, if it increases your capacity to experience more of the stunning beauty and glory of Jesus Christ. I love what Augustine says, in my deepest wound I saw your glory and it dazzled me. Thomas Watson put it this way, God sweetens outward pain with inward peace. Now what does that look like? Here's the next story. What is true about internal storms? Internal storms are complex, multidimensional, demonic forces can stir up and aggravate all of the factors that can mess up your life. Now, I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this because we did a whole teaching on this a few weeks ago. We called it The Dark Side, and you'll have to download the app or go online to our new website and and listen to that message because I really get into that whole spiritual realm, the demonic realm. Ephesians 6.12 says, We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and forces of darkness. It's much more than just the physical. There's a spiritual realm. And by the way, Our problems are much more complex and multidimensional. So when you've got a friend that's struggling with depression, don't just start preaching to them that they need to read their Bible more and, and rebuke the devil more and go to church more and be plugged into a small group more. Yeah, 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 yeah. They need to do all of that, but it can be much more than that because there's this physiological part of us. Sometimes we're not getting enough rest at night. Sometimes it's diet. Sometimes it's exercise. Sometimes it's just brain chemistry. And we need some medication to help us. It can also be uh, certainly that, that spiritual realm where we've got demonic stuff going on in our life. He's coming after us. He's trying to oppress us. He's working us. Or it could, could be moral. could be sin. We're, we're living in sin and it's creating really guilt and shame and stuff in our lives. So we need to take it to the Savior and it's creating this depression in us. Or it could be very much relational. If you have gone through a divorce, it can take a person that's gone through a divorce three to five years to kind of work through the implications and the, and the obstacles in that and create depression. Or it could be just emotional. You're not dealing with past hurts. You've taken some hits through the years and you've stockpiled them and anger turned inward becomes depression. So no, no pat answers, okay? No pat answers. It's much more complex. It's multidimensional and then the demonic forces can stir up and aggravate all the factors that can mess up your life. You can go online and listen to that one. We, we talk more about that. But here's the next one. The same patterns are at work in our lives that are in the demonized man. The difference isn't quality, but quantity. So we look at this demonized man or this guy that's demon-possessed, and we immediately think, oh, well, that's him. I'm not, I don't have any problems with demons. How do you know? How do you know you don't? The word that's used here is demonization, and the Bible actually kind of gives us this idea that anywhere from being tempted and deceived to all the way demon possession, it's on the scale that we can be uh, affected by by demons now certainly Christians can't be demon possessed we know that but you can certainly be oppressed and you can be tempted and you can be deceived by demons and in fact it tells us in 1st Timothy chapter 3 verses 6 through 7 leaders in the church should not be recent converts because because they can become puffed up and fall into the snare of the devil it says in Ephesians four twenty-six and 27 be angry but don't sin don't let the sun go down in your anger and do not give the devil a foothold so, he's so talking really, there's the same patterns are at work in our lives that are in the demonized man. The difference isn't quality, but quantity. So, here, here's the pattern. Here, here it is. I've got it on a checklist. If you love anything more than God, you are making a pact with evil. Romans 3.23, it says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So because we fail to see how desirable and satisfying God is, we tend to choose something in creation and love something in creation more than we love the Creator. And then in doing that, we're making a pact with evil. This is centering our heart on anything more than God. And what's crazy about this is this can this can be very good things that have become ultimate things in our life. They can, it, can be a, it can be a marriage, it can be our kids. It can be a job. It can be money in the bank. Those are all good things, but when we take those good things and turn them into ultimate things and we try to get from those things what we should be getting from God, our sense of meaning and purpose and hope and happiness, then we're making a pact with evil. We're setting ourselves up. And in fact, you will be greatly empowered, but at the same time, greatly enslaved. I mean, this guy, he could break chains, and yet he was driven by the demons into the desert. And I've seen people that really focused on their, on their job or their career. I mean, that was their life. It had captured their heart and their imagination. And oh my goodness, they were the best worker, you know, in the whole company. And yet it enslaved them. And in the meantime, it trashed their health and it messed up their family so, so you will be greatly empowered, but at the same time greatly enslaved. I love what Rebecca Pippert says, out of the salt shaker into the world. She says, whatever controls us is, is our Lord. The person who seeks power is controlled by power. The person who seeks acceptance is controlled by acceptance. We do not control ourselves. We're controlled by the Lord of our lives. Now, you're controlled by something. If you're not controlled by God, the creator, you're controlled by something in creation. You don't have any other option. Now, you might not call it the Lord of your lives, but that's what the Bible would call it. That's why he says in the very first of the Ten Commandments, you shall have no other gods before me. There's not a third option, like you're not going to have a God. You will have a God. Don't have any other God than the God of the galaxies, the God of creation, the God of the Bible. That's what he's saying there. And this is what will happen if you do that. It will drive you when you seek it, disappoint you when you get it, and devastate you when you lose it. That's the next on your fill-in-the-blanks. It will drive you when you seek it, disappoint you when you get it. Why would it disappoint you? Why is enough never enough? No matter how much you put in your bank, no matter how much you pursue your marriage, no matter how much uh, you pursue your job, at some point there will be this inconsolable longing because there's nothing in creation that can satisfy that deepest longing in your heart. You were created for God. God. That's really what we, in the New City Catechism, we, we recited here. It was, we, were, we were made for his glory. And that's where we're going to find the deep, our deepest satisfaction. But, but notice this, and it will devastate you when you lose it. As a firefighter, uh, paramedic with Phoenix Fire, I don't know how many, how many suicides I went on. Whether they blew their brains out with a gun or cut their wrists, one guy cut his throat or they had overdosed on meds, whatever it was, most of the time it was because they had built their life on something that was temporal and it was gone, and when that was gone, their life was over, and so therefore, they ended their life because of that. It devastates you. Take a look at this, uh, let's walk through this real quick, the heart chart, we talked about it last weekend, and uh, so when the Bible talks about our heart, it uses that word "heart" some nine hundred times, and um, let me just—I'm going to spend a little bit of time here uh, on this. I'm going a little bit longer here today uh, because I want you to really understand this. You're saying, "What's new?" And uh, and so, uh, so when the Bible talks about heart, this is what it's defining for us: it's our actions, the top of the, the top of the heart, the most. Uh, Superficial, you might say, it's at the very top is our actions, our will. Then it comes down to our feelings, our emotions, and then the thoughts. Thoughts are more than just something that's fleeting. It's actually more about our mindset. It's a, it actually has to do with uh, our worldview. We, we all have a worldview. We have a belief system. And then, of course, you've got the treasure. Where your treasure is, that is where your heart will be also. And let me say it again. Let me say it again. It's not the trauma. It's not the difficulties that you're going through. It's not the storms that make you behave actions, and feel feelings the way you behave and feel. It's not the storms of life that make you behave and feel the way you behave and feel. It's actually much deeper than that. It's the thoughts. It's what you're saying to yourself about those storms. It's your worldview. If you don't add into that equation that God is for you and not against you, if you don't have a biblical worldview, of course you're going to have a negative response to the, to the storms of life. Of course. That's why he's saying, hey, guys, where's your faith? Where's your faith? What was he doing? He's taking them down to thoughts and their treasure. What's most important to you? And, and so it even goes much deeper than thoughts. It's really what, what, what has captured your heart? What has captured your, your imagination? What are you living for? What are you living for? Because that's going to make a difference when you face the storms of life. Now, let me walk you through something here that I think would, may, may help you. A bit. Imagine a Christian friend has lost his job from an unfair action by his boss and comes to you and says, I'm very bitter at my former boss and have become very depressed since I have lost my job. I feel like a failure. You got that? You're sitting at Starbucks, you're hanging out, you're trying to counsel him, trying to help him along. Let me show you kind of the scenario where we typically go that's not deep enough. It's a bit superficial. You can start with the actions. You can start with the actions and say something like this. Stop acting like that. Christians should be forgiving and joyful no matter what. Come on. Suck it up. That's the typical approach to, uh, among orthodox and conservative legalistic Christians. To simply tell an unforgiving and joyless person to repent and change behavior doesn't go deep enough because a lack of self-control, that is a lack of forgiveness and joy, is coming from a belief that says, even if I live up to moral standards, but don't have this, that is the successful career, then I'm still a failure. Does that make sense? So you gotta go down to the treasure. You're not going down to the treasure. What does he treasure? He treasures this successful career, more than Christ. But you're dealing with his behavioral modification. Behavioral modification, apart from heart transformation, is pretense. So you're gonna have a real nice little robotic Christian that's just pretending, okay, I'm happy then because you told me I was supposed to be happy even in storms. Well, don't do that. That doesn't help people. Here's the next level would be emotions. Stop feeling like that. Your problem is that you don't see how much God loves you. You need to think about your value to him. The typical approach among liberal Christians or secular, secular psychologists who say, see what a great person you are. To simply tell a depressed person God loves you, rejoice, doesn't go deep enough because the unhappiness is coming from a belief that says, even if God loves you, but you don't have this, this successful career, then you are still a failure. You guys tracking with me? Have I lost you? Okay, wake up. How about over here? You guys with me? Okay, you guys are you guys are pretty intent here, this this last last crowd here of the morning. See, here's the next one, thoughts. Here's another way that we've tried to deal with it. Thoughts, stop thinking like that. Your problem is garbage in, garbage out. It's the power of positive thinking. And it's a technique used by just about everyone. To tell tell a bitter person to stop to think positive thoughts also doesn't go deep enough because the thoughts are dominated by what we value. Are dominated by what we value. That's the treasure. What do we value? What is most important to us? What we value the most, and if having a successful career is more valuable to me than my relationship with Christ, then all the positive thoughts in the world about Christ will never overpower my career-dominated thoughts. You are what you love. You are what you worship. Where your treasure is, that is where your heart will be also. What you treasure, you can find out what you treasure by what dominates your thoughts, stirs your deepest emotions, and moves you to action. Why do you do what you do? Why do you get out of bed in the morning? What are you living for? Here's how, here's the gospel response. The gospel asks what is operating in the place of Jesus Christ as your real functional savior and salvation? Where's your real treasure? Where's your real treasure? Your friend has misplaced his identity in his career and the respect he receives from others which is more important to him than his identity in Christ. He is working for his identity through his career rather than from his identity through Jesus Christ. And so this is how I kind of deal with the junk that's in my life, and this is how you need to deal with it too. As negative thoughts and feelings and actions arise, so you you got negative actions, feelings and thoughts, they begin to arise. You begin to think about what's going on here with me. As negative thoughts, feelings, and actions arise, you must confront the underlying beliefs the values, with the truth that having a great career or a job is a good thing, but not the ultimate thing of my life. Wherever I may work or whatever I may do for a living, the Lord willing, Christ is my life, my love, and what he says about me through the cross is my ultimate identity. And then you begin to fill your your heart with the beauty and the value of who Jesus is and what he's done for you. It's called worship. It's called worship. Now, we're almost done. Here we go. What's up with the pigs? What in the world is with the pigs in this story? I mean, actually, Mark chapter 5 says that there are 2,000 pigs. Now, if this would have happened in America, good old God bless America, those folks would have, there would have been an outcry because they would have said, those poor pigs. We're calling PETA. PETA. They destroyed Jesus, get Jesus out of here, but that wasn't what they were concerned about. They were concerned about the pigs. They were concerned about their economy. 2,000 pigs, that, that would shoot an economy. Here's the point. Here's the point. Don't miss it. Here it is. Number three, all the wealth in the world is not worth one human soul. All the wealth in the world is not worth one human soul. If you gain the whole world and lose your soul, what do you have? That's what Jesus said in Luke Luke 9.24. So you pursue your career, and you're great in your career, but you lose your soul, or pursue your family and you lose your soul, you pursue any number of things in creation over above the Creator. Oh my goodness, It's not worth it. Pursue Him first and foremost. And then out of that you'll be able to respond appropriately to the things that God has given to you. And that's why, as we look at this story, with Jesus in the boat. You can face anything. The only loss that would be unbearable is the loss of God and his presence. Suffering brings God's presence like nothing else. Psalm 34, 18. God is close to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. Build your life on the temporal and suffering will take it from you. Build your life on the eternal God and suffering will drive you deeper into his love. Here's the next one, number four. Signs of a healthy human soul. This is what we see. This is the epitome of, many, uh, of mental health. Sitting at Jesus' feet, centering my heart on Jesus. That's what you see with this demonized guy. And he's clothed. And let me push that a little bit further than maybe what we should, but let's just say that we need to be clothed in Jesus' righteousness. Our identity is in him, 2 Corinthians 5.21. And then the next one, in his right mind. What does it mean to be in your right mind? What is mental health? Well, they would say being in touch with reality and relatively free from anxiety. That would be mental health. And then, of course, and proclaiming how much God has done for him. And what is he doing? He's praising God. Praise of God. Praise of God is inner health made audible. Now, here's the deal. Jesus said to them, by the way, let me ask you this. How healthy are you? Do you you regularly, each and every day, is there praise coming from your mouth in regards to who God is and what he's done for for you? Or is it ingratitude? What dominates your life? That's, that's inner health made audible. If you're praising God, if you understood what you have in Jesus, oh my goodness, we would be praising him if we understood all that we have in him. Now Jesus says, where's your faith? Let me challenge you with this just for a moment. This is what he's saying to them. You got faith, get it out and use it. Think out the implications. This is what it would look like. I'm going through storms right now. And this is what a friend would do for you or maybe a counselor. And they would say, okay, so you're going through the storm. Yeah, that's horrible. That's horrible what you're going through. But let me ask you this are you Christian? Yeah. Okay, what does that mean? That Jesus died for me and uh, he reconciled me to the Father. And that uh, because of that, I have his indwelling Holy Spirit. Okay, okay, that's good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so so how does that apply? How does that apply to now whatever you're facing? Does that mean... Does that mean then, even though you walk through the valley of the shadow of death, you will fear no evil because God is with you? What do you think of that one? That's like Psalm 23. Yeah, yeah, yeah. How about that one? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I like that. Why? I didn't think about that. Why didn't you think about that? Because, see, faith is the foundation. The foundation of faith is thinking, it's thinking out the implication. That's what he's saying. He's just saying, hey, come on. What do you have? Are you a Christian? Don't you have Jesus? Oh, my goodness. He's bigger than any storm that you'll ever face. Where's your faith? Walk it out. Live it out. Here's the last point on the notes. When you see the infinite cost that Jesus paid in order to defeat evil, that defeats evil in us. That defeats evil in you. At the end of the Gospel of Luke, we're gonna see Jesus in this man exchanging places. Because see, here's the question. How did Jesus defeat evil in this man's life without destroying him? How does he defeat evil in our lives without destroying us? And at the end of the Gospel of Luke, we see Jesus in this man exchanging places. Jesus is naked, naked, crying out, bleeding, driven into the tomb. Why? Because it was not with with imperishable things or it it was not with perishable things that we were redeemed from our former way of life, our former empty way of life that was passed on to us from our forefathers, but it was with the precious blood of Jesus, the lamb without blemish or defect, that he has redeemed us. He loves us. And when you see Him doing that for you, He becomes the treasure of your life. And now you can look at those things that you have turned into ultimate things and the pact is over. Your career is no longer your righteousness, your glory, your beauty. It's just a career. And that's true for every created thing. And now we're gonna celebrate that through communion. There's three stations. And as you find your way up to one of these stations, grab both of the cups, take it back to you to your seat. And... uh, And I will walk us through the process. John Newton, who wrote Amazing Grace, he penned these words also. He says, His love in time past forbids me to think. He'll leave me at last in troubles to sink. By prayer, let me wrestle, and He will perform with Christ in the vessel. I smile at the storm. May that be true. May that be true about all of us as we celebrate communion together. John six thirty five, Jesus said, I am the bread of life. <clears throat> Whoever comes to me shall never hunger. Whoever believes in me will never thirst. So bread of life, we take the Lord's Supper in reverent obedience. We do not want to receive it unworthily. So we come in repentance and faith. Forgive us of our, of our sins, of, of, of taking good things and turning them into ultimate things. And help us to forgive the sins of those who have sinned against us, especially the believers with whom we share the bread and the cup. May our partaking of this meal proclaim your saving death and our desperate need of it. Amen. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians eleven twenty three 23 through 26, For I received... From the Lord, what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's take the bread together. In the same way also he took the cup and after supper saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Let's drink together. So may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of the Father, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. In Jesus' name, and everyone said, Amen. Love you guys.